We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Wow, what a win it was despite almost 500 yards of offense from the Packers. More than 400 yards passing from Aaron Rodgers. 10 of 10 to start the game and a 10-0 lead for the pack, they normally do not lose at home under those circumstances, but Philly was resilient. We're going to break it all down with Ross Tucker, who is on the road, not home. I'm Dave Briggs, by the way, home in Connecticut. He is in West Virginia because I know he likes and loves John Denver. Ross Tucker, we're going to get into the game. You cover the Eagles a lot, but first question has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the Super Bowl halftime show is Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, which I am all into until I wondered, what do they actually sing beyond Hips Don't Lie 2006? Name one song from either Shakira or Jennifer Lopez and you win a prize. Um, I got it. Don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block. First I had a little, now I got a lot. Most of all, I know where I came from. Boom. No idea what the uh, name of that song Jenny from the Block, maybe? I don't know exactly yeah. what the name of that song is, but you know what? I actually saw J-Lo in concert in Vegas uh, a couple wow. summers ago. I went to Vegas with some of my friends from central Pennsylvania, and we went to a J-Lo show. She was fantastic. I mean, I don't know how at her age... She looks the way she does. She moves the way she does. She's very uh, pliable. She probably works out with Tom Brady. She's very flexible. Um, and I, I like what she's bringing to the table. I'm, uh, I like her assets quite a bit. Um, so, <laughs> like, uh, man, you know what's great about this show? I had no idea. None nope. whatsoever. Within nope. the first two minutes, I'd be singing, don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still I'm still Jenny from the block. First I had a little, but now I got a lot. Most of all, I know where I came from. Um, I did not know I'd be singing yeah. that. I did not know I'd be talking about Jennifer Lopez assets. Um, assets. assets. It's pretty unbelievable. Mm. I will tell you this, too. One time... I got a quick story, and we're gonna get into the Packers no Eagles. Everybody relax. We got we got a lot to talk about with Settle the Packers in. Eagles. Everybody just relax. I got a funny story that might not be funny. It'll either be a funny story or it won't be funny at all. And Dave will just all make right. fun of me. Either way, you guys probably. Win. Either way, you yeah. guys, the viewers, the listeners win. So, Dave, I'm 22 years old, and I'm dating my uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And for Christmas, I give her a gift. Anywhere she wants to go for a week, we're going because it's the off season. I, I can go. So we go to Jamaica. And the thing that reminded me of the story is one of the guys down there said about my wife or my girlfriend at the time, I don't remember what we were doing, but he said, your girl is hot, man. She looks like J-Lo. 
your girl is hot, man. She looks like, but that's not the story. The story is, oh. Dave, oh. it's an it's an adults only, all inclusive, okay? And right. they get five couples to volunteer. They grab five couples from the audience to come out, and they say, okay, you have one minute to change your clothes and wear each other's clothes and come back out here. One minute. So we go behind the stage. I am 320, 325 pounds. My wife is 115, maybe, okay? Maybe. So I take off my polo shirt and my khaki shorts, give them to her, and my hat. She takes off her whatever top and skirt and gives them to me. And we have to walk back out there. We go out there, Dave, I'm not kidding when I tell you the people were crying and not because my wife had a triple extra large shirt on that was hanging off of her and had to hold up her, my khaki shorts and put my hat on backwards. They're crying because her skirt only came up to mid calf for me and her shirt I couldn't put on. So it just became a scarf around my neck. So in front of at least a thousand strangers, I was just standing there at 320 pounds in all my glory in my underwear because my wife's skirt would only go up to mid calf. And I had to, it was, it was amazing. So I'm is done. that a good one or is, that, is that a good one or is that one where you make fun of me? You delivered on that one, my friend. I was skeptical. I was doubtful. You delivered, and now I can never unsee that image. Please tell me there's a photograph of that. Please tell me there's a cell phone picture somewhere. No, I wish there was. I wish there was. It would be awesome. Huh. All right. Wow. Okay. Your wife is hot, but she doesn't look like J-Lo at all. But anyway, uh, we get back to football now on a Fly Eagles Fly Friday. Our friend Elliot Shore Parks, he said that was the best win of Carson Wentz's career was it and did the eagles find their playbook in week four you know i'm sure elliot who covers the team for a living has can think about every win that wentz has had that sounds like a little bit of hyperbole to me but then if you really go through it and you think about the fact i mean is he not counting the win over the rams where Wentz dove into the end zone in 2017 right, to score right. the touchdown, which got the Eagles the number one seed in the NFC to beat the Rams. I mean, is he not counting that? Because if he's not counting that because Wentz got hurt during the game, that's the biggest win. It got the Eagles number one seed, and it was out in L.A. against the Rams, who you know, were fighting for that number one seed back in 2017. He had a really good win in 2017 at Carolina. But I would say, Dave, given the Super Bowl aspirations in Philly and given the circumstances of being one and two and being down 10 nothing in that game last night, I, I can understand where he's coming from. I, I think it's certainly top two or three, and I think a compelling argument could be made that that was Carson Wentz his best win as an Eagle. I mean, at Thursday night, short week, they just lost to the Lions against the undefeated Packers in a game in which Aaron Rodgers generally played out of his mind. Yeah, I, I guess I can kind of see that. 
So the Eagles are on the two-yard line to tie or win with the two-point conversion. Nigel Bradham picks off Aaron Rodgers for the game. Ceiling interception, 20 seconds left in that game. Jordan Howard, though, really was the difference in this one. Runs for two touchdowns. That was surprising. 87 yards was surprising. And a touchdown reception in this game as well. It was all about the ground game. Uh, the rookie looked well. The backfield showed balance, showed they could beat up on this very stout Green Bay defensive line. Let's listen to some sound from uh, Carson Wentz and the head coach, Doug Peterson, on the ground game, the offensive line establishing their will. You know, the way we like to um, use those guys out of the backfield, you know, spread them out into empty sets and, you know, get mismatches on linebackers and both those guys coming along. Uh, obviously, everyone knows Sproles can do that, and that's a big part of his game. But being able to do that with those guys um, to keep the same personnel, run the ball, spread it out, do some different things is big for us. The run game, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. You know, it's it's five guys blocking four, and tonight five guys on defense. And this is a good good front, really good front. And uh, um, a lot of our combination blocks had some success. The, the, the You know, Jordan and Miles both had some – they ran with great vision tonight, uh, saw some cuts coming out the backside. Um, but uh, we were able to sustain those blocks and, and get momentum, and we were positive. And, and, and we talked about that on first down, staying positive, because that was an area of – of sort of weakness of our offense was first down and being a little more positive there. So great job there. Carson Wentz played very well in this football game, but it was the ground game that led the way. 176 rushing yards. Miles Sanders went over the 70-yard mark. Is this the balance? Is this the playbook that Philly needs to establish moving forward to have those Super Bowl aspirations? Well, I think certainly, Dave, with Deshaun Jackson out, it is. Um, the Packers' run defense is not good. And the Eagles have, and I said this before the year, they should have the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, Dave, Lane Johnson's probably the best right tackle in the NFL. Brandon Brooks, in my opinion, is as good as any guard in the NFL. He is excellent. Kelsey is the best center in the NFL. I think all three of those guys are debatably the best at their position in the entire NFL. Sayamalu was terrible against the Falcons, but I think he's an up-and-coming player that has played much better the last two games at left guard. They gave him a contract extension this offseason for a reason. And Jason Peters was able to play the entire game. And as long as he can stay healthy and stay on the field and play the entire game, then the Eagles' offensive line is the best in football. I mean, Dave, I don't can't remember the last time I saw a game like that where the Eagles could have and arguably should have run the ball every single play, and I don't think the Packers would have been able to stop them. I mean, even on the Eagles' last drive, after the goal line stand, they run it out to the 50, you know, with a few runs, and I had joked on Twitter – here comes the 13-play, 99-yard touchdown drive for the Eagles that takes up eight minutes. Well, they got to the 50. They got five yards on first down and then threw it twice. And one, Jordan Howard, was covered on a wheel route, and the other one was a bad throw by Wentz. But they could have just kept running. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Eagles really could not stop the Packers' passing game. And it felt like the Packers were doing the Eagles a favor Every time they ran the ball. I mean, Dave, it was the damnedest thing to see a game like that where one team could run the ball at will, 
The other team could pass the ball at will. Mm -hmm. It was a wild, wild, awesome game. I loved it. I was all over Twitter. At Ross Tucker NFL is my social. He's at Dave Briggs TV. Hopefully you guys are all already following us at RDC, home and home. I'm fired up this morning. It's a finished strong Friday. It's a bloody Mary Friday edition of home and home for Dave at least. I got to drive two more hours in West Virginia right after the show. It's a long story, but we'll get to that later. At any rate, Dave, this is the formula for the Eagles when they've got the best offensive line in football. And by the way, I know we have some of our producers like Steve Jung and Joey Gelman and all these guys were in Chicago before they got the jobs here with the radio.com app and radio.com. Everybody I talked to told me how bad Jordan Howard was, how terrible Jordan Howard was. <laughs> Good call there. Maybe you leave the football analysis to me, okay? How about I do the football? Because Jordan Howard's pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, you can understand their hesitation based on the background and based on his first couple of games with Philly. I mean, look, 37 yards rushing once he went eight against Atlanta. Eight carries, 18 yards, six carries, 44 yards against Washington. That looked, though like the type of balance they need to establish. As for the Bloody Mary, still marinating, going to try to hold off till hour three. Probably going to happen in about 30 minutes. On the flip side for Philly, there's some issues. Nine penalties, 93 yards. The secondary was scorched by Rodgers. And, of course, by Devontae Adams. Ten catches, 180 yards in this game. He's got some turf toe, by the way. And that could be a big deal for the Green Bay Packers moving forward. Not a great receiving core beyond him. But... When it comes to that secondary, they lose Avante Maddox in this game and Sidney Jones. Um, it's a big win. It's a feel-better Friday. But is there some big issues down the road for your Eagles? Uh, yes, yeah, so a couple of things. Um, number one, there are some major issues in the secondary. And I can't even imagine. And we'll get to some of the calls later. But I can yeah. virtually guarantee that the fans are clamoring. I saw it last night on Twitter. I have a text thread with all my buddies from high school. Half the texts were about how much money they need to pay Jalen Ramsey and how badly they need Jalen Ramsey. It was not a good night for the Eagles secondary, in particular Sidney Jones before he went out with a hamstring injury, Avante Maddox before he went out with a very scary helmet-to-helmet friendly fire hit from Andrew Sindejo. I mean, they really, those guys struggled. There's no way around it. Uh, they did not perform very well. Ronald Darby was already out with a hamstring injury. Jalen Mills is on PUP. He's not coming through that door for at least a couple more weeks. Who knows when he will. I mean, they really had two healthy cornerbacks at the end of that game. Rasul Douglas, who was kind of up and down. He was okay. And Craig James, who has been up and down practice squad and active roster so far this year, Dave. I mean, they're lucky. It's a good thing they, well, I guess they did because of Darby, but it's a good thing they activated Craig James and had him. And how about that? They bring a guy up from practice squad for this game. And at the end of the game, there's whatever it was, 45 seconds left. Aaron Rodgers knows he's out there. He thinks, all right, I'm going to pick on this poor kid. Going to throw a slant to him. And Craig James gets his hand in there, bats the ball up in the air, and Nigel Bradham intercepts it. I mean, it wasn't 
the exact same thing, Dave, but it was reminiscent almost of Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. It really was. I mean, it, it was. It really did. Yeah. It reminded it, it, me of that. It did. Me too. I mean, the first second you saw it, it, it looked, um, it, you could tell what they were going to do, what they wanted to do, but it also brought back thoughts of Daryl Bevel and the play calling. And maybe not in that sequence there, but on the prior trip uh, to the one yard line, four different run, four different passes, no runs for the Green Bay Packers. Matt LaFleur was asked about that. Why didn't you run from the one yard line? He said, that's a great question. Was it Daryl Bevel-esque in their decision, not on that particular possession, but on a prior one, to not try to run it in from the one? So I'm so glad you said that, Dave. Those are the last two series for the Packers. And I look at it differently. When Matt LaFleur says that's a good question, <laughs> I wonder if he's calling out number 12, Aaron Rodgers, there. And I wonder if maybe one or two of those were called runs or RPOs and Aaron Rodgers just decided to pass it rather than run it. I have my sneaky suspicions oh. about that for sure, Dave. Um, what else would that mean? That's a good question. I mean, if you're the one calling the plays, how about answering the question? I, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I hadn't thought about it that way, which begs the question. We're going to talk about this later in the program. There are some theories that the big questions on the play calling for Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland, were those actually the one particular fourth and nine draw call? Was that an audible from Baker Mayfield? Do you have coaches taking the sword, falling on the sword for their quarterback? That is an interesting discussion to have when we move forward. But Ross mentioned the callers, and we got to, before we get to a break, get in some callers from WIP. How excited are they in Philly this morning? Listen. Sideman John, let's take his temperature. How you doing, John? It's a beautiful morning. <laughs> I think I'll go outside for a while and just smile. Good morning. The football season started last night. <laughs> John, He's back. John, you weren't singing it was 10 zip Packers, were you? No, no. We were putting a tailgater on skids for the season. Wow. I, John, I got to tell you, I was looking at that and I was saying, you know what I think? I think this current edition of the Eagles is lousy. I actually thought there's nothing about our game that's good. And then, boom, Sanders returned, John. Doesn't that turn everything around? It was insane. And I'm with you on Peterson. The yeah. guy is a complete lunatic with his decision-making. Yeah. And I didn't like him when they picked him. This guy is one of the best coaches we've ever had. Yeah. I've never seen a coach, any level, especially professional, answer questions more forthright. It's yeah. like listening to one of us when they ask him questions. The reporter asks him at halftime what they got to do on defense. He says, maybe cover the receiver. Who says that? I know. He, he, is he has even become more that way, John, this season than he was before. I guess he's more secure in his position now. But he is. And the other thing is, unflappable i i mean we're going nuts here going this is not even a competitive football game and you walk him out of sideline and it looks like he's ordering breakfast <laughs> 
He's got that yeah, big menu in front of him. Yeah. It was, John, that was as good a regular season win as I can remember. Because the season was on the line, and they were at Lambeau Field, and Rodgers was on fire, and they still won the football game. Boy, I wish we would have just left it with the singing because that made me feel like Friday, Ross. How happy are they in Philly this morning? Oh, my, Dave, I, I cannot even put it in. Uh, they care and probably an unhealthy amount about this football team. There's no question. And with all of the hope and expectations that came into this season, I think everybody knows if they had lost that game and fallen to one and three, that would really, really be a hit for their Super Bowl aspirations. Because, you know, Dave, the last six years, it's been only number one and number two seeds in the Super Bowl. And in fact, it's been three number two seeds and nine number one seeds. What does that mean? You need the buy. First of all, you need the buy. Second of all, you really need to try to get home field advantage. You need the one or the two seed, which means you got to win your division and be one of the two best teams in your entire conference. And the problem for the Eagles is that the Dallas Cowboys are pretty freaking good. So the Eagles could not afford to lose that one last night after the Lions and Falcons losses. They couldn't go to one and three. It wasn't pretty. And I, I predicted yesterday uh, everywhere I was, Dave, that I thought the Eagles would win a close game. And I'll tell you why. I, 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 I'm, you can call it law of averages. You can call it regression to the mean. Whatever you want to call it. But back-to-back -back games, the Eagles were not getting the breaks in terms of the drops, the turnovers, you know, even the kickoff return for a touchdown by the Lions. Those things in the NFL have a way of evening out. Meanwhile, for the Packers, they were getting those breaks. You know, the fumbles by the Broncos, you know, the missed kicks and the awful interception by Kirk Cousins in that Vikings game. Even the Bears, I just, the law of averages suggested that the Eagles were due to get some breaks and the Packers were due to not get some breaks. And that's exactly what happened last night. I mean, there was a strip sack, which isn't really a break. It's a play. It's the interception. Although Nigel Bradham should have had another interception. Aaron Rodgers threw right to him. And it's the Avante Maddox, you know, potential pass interference penalty. I, there's no question that some of the breaks that happened in NFL games went more the Eagles way than the Packers last night. It was a huge difference in the game. We will get to that pass interference call and what exactly is pass interference in the NFL right now. It's reminiscent of the debate over what is a catch a few years ago with Dez because they have actually made this issue more confusing by allowing it to be reviewed. Apparently, officiating is hard. Hiring, too, can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, and she knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter, they don't depend on candidates finding you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. 
Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones, and that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. Results like that, no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. They are the smartest way to hire. So Ross mentioned a pass interference call that did not happen in last night's Thursday night football game, which begs the question as we head in toward a weekend full of football what exactly is pass interference and why allow it to be reviewed if when clear on tape, it is still not overturned. We're talking about Avante Maddox interfering with MVS. Matt LaFleur challenged the call and on replay to anyone watching that football game or has watched the highlight this morning, it was a clear cut, at least in my eyes, P.I., Maddox runs into MBS without making a play on the ball nor even turning his head. How in the world do they not turn this one around, Ross? And what does it mean moving forward? Well, uh, a couple things. Number one, I'm okay with it. And in general, I still thought they threw the flag too many times last night when they didn't need to. I, I thought they threw the flag. I mean, they called Zach Brown for a face mask where he was really up here on the guy's helmet. He was not in the open area at all. I thought there were several ticky-tack pass interference penalties that were called really on both sides. The Eagles actually got one, an offensive pass interference overturned. Can they please, can we go back to Brady's tweet from a week ago? Can they please just let these guys play a little bit? But hang on. I would love hang to on. be on just that that situation i don't mean to cut you off but that you, the whole change this year is allowing it to be reviewed you don't think that was a pass interference on avante maddox on mbs you weren't watching that football game you must have been in the bathroom that was a clear-cut pass interference Tw co uh, tweeted tony dungy that's terrible i don't understand this replay review of pi that one on philly couldn't have been more clear-cut if they're not going to reverse that one, I don't see how they can reverse any call. That's the point I'm trying to make. Why in the world allow it to be reviewed? Are, are you suggesting you don't think that was a clear-cut interference? I think it was interference. I think it can be debatable whether or not it was clear and obvious and worth overturning. I felt like when they put really? this rule in, yeah, I, I can. I, I think, oh. look, there was another one later in the game where Kenny King clearly, Alshon Jeffrey was like this with his hands, and Kenny King, before the ball got there, clearly knocked Alshon Jeffrey's hand down that Peterson challenged. I didn't think it was a good challenge by Peterson because what they're telling us, Dave, is that unless it is absolutely blatant, like the NFC Championship game, they're not going to overturn it, and I'm okay with that. I, number one, would like to see them let them play more, and number two, I'm okay with not overturning the call on the field unless it is absolutely blatant. Do I think that that was pass interference? Yeah, yeah, it probably was. They probably should have called it. 
They, I think they should have thrown the flag on the field. Am I outraged that they didn't overturn it upon review? No, I'm not. I think they probably should have, but I don't think it's a big issue that everybody else is making out to me. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was that. I didn't think it was the NFC Championship game. I didn't think it was that bad ah! that they had to overturn it. <laughs> we were watching a different game. I agree with Matt Lafleur on this. He says. I don't know what pass interference is anymore, echoing the words of Tony Dungy as well. I don't think you could have had, like, that's the training tape. That's the tape that you show the officials to find out what pass interference is. I just, okay, maybe we can agree on this. Then don't have it be reviewable. Maybe we just shouldn't have it reviewable. I thought that was as clear-cut case as we have ever seen. But I guess we, we disagree on that. Do you think PI should be reviewable? I do think it should be reviewable, and I do think it should be reviewable for absolutely egregious errors in which there is no question. I think the Maddox play was debatable whether or not it was an egregious error. I think that they should have overturned it, and it should have been pass interference. I think they should have said that was pass interference. But I don't think it's as bad as the NFC Championship game and I understand the thought process of we are not going to overturn the rule on the, the, the ruling on the field unless it's totally blatant. And I can see them seeing Avante Maddox jump up. I don't think the receiver did a great job of coming back to the ball and drawing the penalty. It seemed to me like MVS also jumped straight up and just put his arm out. If he jumped back into Avante Maddox, then that would have been blatantly obvious that they should have 100% called it. I still think they should have called it, Dave, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the history. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a terrible, 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 egregious mistake. I think they probably should have called it. We'll agree to disagree on that. Coming up in just a bit, we'll look forward to the games we are excited for this weekend and why, but I have to ask you about the NFL's Apparent reversal on an 18-game NFL regular season. The reporting is now leaning towards a 17-game regular season, shortening the preseason. The obvious question there is, how do you make that work unless every team plays a neutral game in terms of the home-away balance? How do you make that work short of every team playing a neutral site game? And is that even close to re reality? Uh, I think they can do it. I've been I've been touting this for a long time. I agree they do have to have a neutral site game for every team. That's the only way this works. But they're already kind of heading that way anyway with five or six London games, with the Mexico City game. I mean, they're getting close to that. They're, that's the only way they would do it. This wouldn't come into effect, I don't think, until 2021. So I believe that they could plan in advance and get ready to be able to do that so that they have a neutral site game for all of these. I'm on board with 17 games. I think there should be 17 games a second by week so you get 19 weeks of television inventory and nobody loses a home game. Just every team plays one neutral site game. I think lessening the preseason to three games is a good idea. What I don't understand at all, Dave, is the Adam Schefter report that they could eliminate the preseason entirely. That is a terrible idea from the player's perspective because that would be removing 
revenue generators, of which they get a high percentage, 48 49% preseason games, in which they barely play. The starters and the veterans barely play. You'd be removing revenue generators in which you barely play for non-revenue generators, which are the joint practices in which they get 40, 50, 60 snaps. They're not just going to have them go out there for week one without doing it. They would replace the preseason games with all kinds of joint practices. So if you're the players, why do you want to have a smaller pie of revenue getting rid of the preseason games, which are revenue generators, and and replace them with non-revenue generators in which you got to go out there and get 50, 60 more snaps against an opponent? No, thank you. Hopefully they're smart enough to realize that's not a good deal. Boy, I would fear the quality of play earlier in the season because just look at the first couple of weeks for several teams in which their quarterbacks did not play in the preseason. They were sloppy. They weren't ready to play in week one. Can't imagine how much worse that would get if you did eliminate the, the preseason entirely. Though Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys that didn't step on the field. He seemed to look pretty good 400 yards passing last night, albeit in a loss. I just don't understand how you could get to the point where every team plays a neutral site game, given how well those have gone. Remember the disaster they averted with Mexico? Is there enough quality fields, stadiums, situations that work for an NFL game that don't risk players of injury? Boy, it's not till 2021, but it's, I'd be hard-pressed to see how that can work. All right, best games of the weekend straight ahead. How huge is it for Cleveland? Are they in the same situation as the Eagles were last night heading into Green Bay? And can they escape Baltimore with the win? We'll talk about that in just a minute, but a quick break. All right, we're back on a fly. Eagles fly Friday, Philadelphia with a season-saving win last night in Green Bay. Who needs one of those come Sunday? Our games we're most looking forward to over the weekend start with the Browns at the Ravens. Cleveland needs a Philly-like season saver. They are a seven-point underdog on the road in Baltimore. They're one and two, and the numbers are not good for that offense. They are 27th in points, 24th in yards. Baker Mayfield is 32nd in passer rating, just over 70. Not much is going right for Baker, and the play calling with Freddie Kitchens they go to one and three. You could easily see things going further south and their season being over, much like we talked about with Philadelphia ahead of last night's game. Ross, can Cleveland go to Baltimore? Very good defense, spectacular, exciting quarterback in Lamar Jackson and save their season as the Eagles did. They can. I don't think they will. Uh, I haven't seen any reason to believe that the Browns are good enough to go on the road and beat the Baltimore Ravens. I don't picture the Ravens losing back-to-back games. I don't picture the Ravens losing very many home games. The Browns' defense has been very good, and that's even with all the injuries that they've had in the secondary. But their offense has really struggled. And unless they figure out something on that side of the ball, I don't picture them going into Baltimore and getting this win. You know... They don't look right. And what's crazy about it, Dave, is the defense is better than we thought they'd be. The offensive line has been okay. I mean, they're not great, but we knew they weren't going to be great. I'd say the offensive line has been about what we thought they'd be in Cleveland. 
it's really been the head coach and the quarterback. It's been Freddie Kitchens, who is pretty clearly in over his head. Shocking, I know, for a guy that was a running backs coach a year ago, that perhaps he's not ready to handle being a head coach and an offensive coordinator and the play caller in his first time ever being a head coach. I mean, think about that. Everybody listening, watching on the Radio.com app or Radio.com slash home, think about your job, right? And I know that you think that you could do a bigger job and a better job than your boss. But do you really think that you would want to run everything, make every call when you've never done it before? I mean, I don't even know what the equivalent, Dave, would be. You, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a host on the, in the morning for CNN. That would like you them moving you to whatever the most coveted time slot is, which is probably not to 6 a.m. And, <laughs> and, and by the way, you could handle that part of it. But they also want you to be the executive producer of the show and the director of the show while you're the on-air host. They want you to be pushing the button saying, okay, now show this graphic. And that's why, I mean, it, it's a big step up for Freddie Kitchens, and it's one that he obviously can't handle. We've noticed that very clearly. And Baker Mayfield, he shook. Baker Mayfield yeah. is right now, Dave, he is a one read and then scramble around guy. Rex Ryan said it. Our guy, Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus said it. It's the truth. It is that role, to your point, about CEO. You're ready to be the head sales manager. Maybe, yes. But being the CEO is just a lot different in terms of organizing all things organizationally. Play calling, very different. But we saw Matt LaFleur thus far make that transition pretty well from calling plays last year in Tennessee. At one point, Sean McVay made that transition pretty quick. Maybe he gets it. This weekend, for me, for Cleveland, is an even bigger season-saving situation than Philly was in. And I don't think they have Philly's type of talent on that roster. But in terms of expectations and in terms of criticism coming down on them, I think it's a bitter week. You didn't hear people saying Carson Wentz stinks. You didn't hear people saying that offensive line is no good, nor Doug Peterson is a bad coach. But right now, it's Freddie Kitchens can't coach, shouldn't be calling the plays. Baker Mayfield is overrated, and their offensive line sucks. So this is a bigger, to me, season saver than Philly had last night. And frankly, I think they do save it. I think it is the entire season on one week. Baker Mayfield has to answer his critics. Perhaps they learned something last night from the Eagles. It has to start with the ground game. Nick Chubb is as good a running back outside that top three as there is in the NFL. Hasn't really been established to this point. Maybe that's because of a subpar offensive line there in Cleveland. They certainly don't have the Eagles offensive line. On the flip side, I would say right now, Lamar Jackson is also overrated, at least in my book. If you take out the JV performance against the Dolphins and the five touchdown passes. His numbers have been very pedestrian passing. About a 57% passer, a couple of touchdowns, and some Hail Mary awful decisions late in that game that were bailed out by wide receivers. I still do believe Lamar Jackson has a long way to go to prove himself as a passer. 
I'm not convinced if you make him beat you with his arm, he can do it. And I say that because this is what Lamar said yesterday about choosing to run versus pass. Only if I have to, you know, but my job is to get the ball to the receiver, tight ends, running backs. Um, if I have to run, I'll do it. But I'd rather just sit back and pass it. I like throwing touchdowns instead of running. So only if I have to, Ross, I think he absolutely has to. I think if you make Lamar Jackson beat you with his arm, I don't think he can do it. Well, I mean, he obviously he beat the Dolphins with his arm. Uh, the Dolphins right. are but heinous. We out. know that. Um, and he played well, uh, pretty well, I'd say, against the Cardinals. But I'm not sure they do win that game okay. if he doesn't run for over 100 yards, to your point. So he's absolutely a work in progress. We knew he would. I would argue, Dave, he's much better than he was last year. I mean, last year, he missed a lot of throws, a lot of throws. I think he's improved. I think that they are not expecting him to be a guy that can totally beat teams just with his arm right now. I think that they anticipated that it would be a work in progress. I remember calling for Westwood won their game against the Chargers last year and in the regular season. And they said, yeah, you know what? This is what we have to do right now to win, you know, 10 plus carries a game. Hopefully next year it's between five to 10 carries and the year after that, maybe it's three to five carries. They want, with every year, him to continue his progression as a passer, run less, but still have that running threat. Because all the Mark Ingram touchdowns and yardage, it's all based on the threat that is Lamar Jackson running and passing. So I'm with you. If you're able to just totally make him try to beat you from the pocket, that's what you want to try to do. But he has improved, and I think he'll continue to improve. Will it be enough this year to win the division or go far in the playoffs? I'm not so sure. This is a gigantic game. Bengals and the Steelers are both winless. If the Ravens win this game to get to 3-1, and one, they will have a full two-game lead over everybody else in the division at the quarter pole of the season. I mean, that would really, really be huge. One of the biggest games of the weekend, no question. I agree with you. You, you did it. You mentioned the Monday Nighter. How much do you love football? If you're home, if you're just sitting around with your wife on a Monday night, would you watch 0-3 Cincy, 0-3 Pittsburgh? Are you kidding? First if of all, it wasn't talking- your job. Guess what? I would watch every play because football is my job. Even if it's not my job, it's my life. Are you kidding me? You know how awesome that game is going to be? Desperate times call for desperate measures. I can't wait to watch those dudes try to avoid being 0-4. They're going to be killing each other. It's going to be amazing. The Steelers fans are going to be going berserk to try to get a precious win because they're not used to seeing their team like this. Absolutely, I'd be watching that. You're talking to the wrong guy, man. You're, you're talking to the wrong yes. guy. Yes, <laughs> clearly I am. 
That's the wrong question I, for the wrong person. I might check. I might check what baseball games were on that night. Stephen Jung says tickets as low as thirty-one dollars. Thirty-one bucks for an NFL ticket. That is saying something about those fans. You said are going to be going nuts. The other primetime game, though, another outstanding matchup Sunday night. You've got the Cowboys going to New Orleans. Dak Prescott's first NFL start in his home state of Louisiana, trying to get the Cowboys' first win at the Superdome since 2009. Uh, well, a, a new named dome now. But this is going to be an interesting matchup because New Orleans has been gashed through the air, 300 yards a game. And now they face Dak Prescott, who has 920 yards. He's accounted for 10 touchdowns. Can Teddy Bridgewater, Ross, can he stretch the field and be more than a game manager? That's what they're going to need to go and beat, to beat at home this Dallas Cowboys, that explosive offense. You can't be a game manager and check down Charlie and beat Dallas right now. I tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about the Eagles getting the better end of the breaks against the Packers. Think about the Saints last week. I mean, they get a punt return for a touchdown. They get a defensive touchdown. That just doesn't happen very often. And the odds that that happens again against the Cowboys are really, really small. I think the Cowboys are the better team right now. I think Sean Payton's going to have to turn Teddy Bridgewater loose a little bit. I'm not sure if Teddy Bridgewater is up to the challenge. He seems like a dink and dunk game managing quarterback right now. And I don't think the Saints are going to be good enough running the ball. No matter how good Alvin Kamara is, I don't think they're going to be good enough running the ball and Teddy Bridgewater through the air to beat a Cowboys team that I just think is very focused right now. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Cowboys are poised for a letdown. They're 3-0. and I don't see it. It's a primetime game on TV. I think the Cowboys come out and play very well. I think Cowboys are better at most positions right now. For various reasons, I'm, I'm with you. I think Dallas wins that game. 200-yard rushers last week. Both Zeke and Pollard went over the 100-yard mark. Dallas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they easily cover there at New Orleans. Not all that impressed with what I've seen from Teddy Bridgewater. Solid, good quarterback. will keep them in contention, but can he beat Dallas? Not really sure we are there yet. Anything else you're looking forward to on the weekend slate of games? How about Pats, Bills, and the unlikely undefeated matchup? That, to me, is probably the game I'm looking forward to the most. More than Ravens and Browns. And maybe it's because I played for both the Bills and the Patriots. But I cannot even describe to you, Dave, how berserk the people in Buffalo are going to go for that game. They're 3-0. and The Patriots are 3-0. and It's in Buffalo. They hate the Patriots. I mean, I don't know why this tradition started. But there will be dildos flying. And, yes, that's what happens when the Patriots come to town. People throw dildos on the field. I, I don't know why. I, I don't. I'll tell you this much, Dave. I was on the sideline last year for the Monday night game when the Patriots came to town on Westwood 1. And when the first dildo came on the field, it, was, it landed within five feet of me. Five feet of me. And I was next to the police officer. And the police officer looked at me. I looked at him. He looked at me like, you going to do anything about that? I was like, nope. <laughs> and he went over and like a doggy pooper scooper 
and reached down because he wasn't going to touch it with his bare hands. And then he reached down and he picked it up and I don't, he disposed of it. Um, it's really funny. Like you really don't know where that's been and you really don't want to <laughs> touch it. It makes sense. Uh, I took a picture of that. That's about as much engagement as I've gotten in a social media post in my whole career. People love the dildos on the field for some reason. I don't know why it's a thing. Tell you what we should do for Monday's show. I'm not even kidding. Yep. Rather than having you and I talk for two and a half hours, we should just send the millennials to video and audio people in the tailgates in Buffalo and then talk to them about how important the dildo tradition is to them. That should be the whole Monday show. It should be a dildo Monday, okay? <laughs> where we talk about why that tradition is so important to the Bills faithful. That would get that would get even more listeners, viewers, radio.com slash home, the radio.com app, following us on social media, I guarantee it, at RDC, home and home, at Ross Tucker NFL, at Dave Briggs TV. You want to be different, Dave Briggs. Let's be different. Let's have a dildo Monday, baby. Hashtag Dildo Monday started here. Don't forget it. When you see it trending on Twitter, you'll know to credit Ross Tucker. I very much remember your tweet from when that started because that's how I learned of it. And I think I probably retweeted it and couldn't believe it and was wondering if we could discuss it on CNN, which we could not. But that will be an interesting game, <laughs> to say the least. And we do have to uncover. That would be a great 30 for 30. <laughs> what if I told you? There were, <laughs> there were dildos on a football field. You know, that bold voice coming in and talk to all the Bills fans about where the tradition was born. I mean, that would be the greatest 30 for 30 ever made, would it not? You literally you know don't what, have any. <laughs> you know what? what happens, though? You know, they're ready for it now. So they've got a bunch of cameras. And if they catch you, you're banned from any NFL stadium for life, and they uh, do press charges. Um, I, I was talking with some Buffalo people this week. My buddy Tim Graham is actually writing a story about the dildo tradition, and he wanted mm -hmm. to get quotes from me. And I was talking about it, and he said that the guy last year on, on the Monday news, they had him in an orange jumpsuit at the, at the Erie County prison or whatever, uh, they caught them, and they, they, they're really trying to make an example of these people. The organization is embarrassed. They, they want it to be a family-friendly atmosphere. They don't want dildos to be flying through the air. And so um, now the guys that did it initially, they're in their 20s. I think that those guys yeah. are just like legends and heroes now. But I think the guy last year was like 36, mugshot on social media and on – on TV. I don't know that that was what he was looking for. No, but that would make an interesting ring of fame candidate to ever started that fame tradition. Speaking of that, um, speaking of inappropriate things that happen around football fields, we never got to discuss what happened in Chicago following their latest big win because Tariq Cohen, he got himself on Instagram live in the locker room against NFL policy. And what happened in the background got, well, more than a few viewers' attention. We got a full view of Kyle Schlong. Excuse me, Kyle Long. 
uh, inadvertent slip there. Kyle Long was exposed, all of them, for several seconds. Never realized it. All of them was out there for all of America to see. He later said it was embarrassing and said, embarrassing. Very well played by Kyle Long. Long. Uh, Ross, have you ever seen Instagram Live in a locker room, in the many locker rooms you do cover stadium to stadium? What if that had happened in your day? Thank God there was no Instagram or Twitter when you played. Well, I would have been very upset, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because I'm willing to do that, but only for a lot of money, and it, that would be worth a lot of money. So I, it would really be – I would be upset at Tariq, not because he took the video, but because we weren't able to sell it to the millions and millions of people that would pay $29.99 to be able to see that. That would be my biggest gripe uh, with Tariq. Look, you're not supposed to have any social media in the locker room ever. You're certainly not supposed to have it until after you talk to the media. That's actually a league rule. So this is where we are. Guys care a great deal about social media. Guys are trying to give their followers some type of unique access that they haven't gotten before. And if you think about it, Dave, going back to the Steelers' win over the Chiefs, in the 2016 postseason, this is where it started for Antonio Brown. This is where it all went wrong and started to go downhill for Antonio Brown. When he started to post, remember after that Chiefs game, he did a yep. Facebook Live or whatever while Mike Tomlin was doing the postgame speech to the team. I mean, first of all, I think that's terrible. Uh, to me, that's like sacrilegious to have anything public in a locker room like that. Forget the seeing guys naked. It's just, can we not have any private, personal space? That's what I would be most fired up about. Uh, but that's where the downhill for Antonio Brown started, if you remember. And I think guys just, they, especially if they get a win and they're excited and they want to try to do something unique and special, for their followers, I think this is where we're at. And I think these teams in the league need to really discipline these guys and make sure this doesn't happen. Because that's a bad look for Tariq Cohen and a really bad look for Kyle Long. I didn't watch the video. Maybe it was a great look for Kyle Long. But at any rate, it's not good. I don't think he's too ashamed of himself. Uh, and I saw the video. He should not be. But generally, we all kind of look what's in the background when you're doing a selfie or when you're doing a, an Instagram Live. In this case, look what's in the background, man. Obviously, follow league policy, but turn it around to the locker. People will see nothing. It was inevitable that somebody schlong was going to walk by that camera. Well done, Tariq Cohen. Coming up in a bit, is Troy Aikman just too damn sensitive like everybody else in 2019? Or does he have every right to question these young whippersnapper quarterbacks? Speaking of young whippersnapper quarterbacks, what in the world was Uncle Rico of Napoleon Dynamite fame doing in Jacksonville? Who is he there to see? We'll have that great story for you after a quick break here on Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Over here. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.